0: Hello and welcome to the Guys Like Us podcast. This is your host, Tyler Brondike, And today I'm joined with Andy Bannister, who is an author, writer, photographer, adjunct speaker for RZIM and director for the Solas Center for Public Christianity. Stay tuned. Hello and welcome to the Guys Like Us podcast. This is your host, Tyler Brondike. Welcome to the show. If you're a new listener, it's a pleasure having you here today. If you're a long-time listener, if you've tuned in before, thanks for your continued support. It means so much. And if you have not done so already, if you wouldn't mind leaving a review and five-star rating on Google Play or iTunes, it would be greatly appreciated for the support and continuation of this show. In today's conversation with Andy, we discuss his role as the director for the Solas Center for Public Christianity, what it means to evangelize and preach the gospel. In the public square meeting people where they are like the early apostles in Ephesus. Andy operates at an international level speaking to audiences that come from a variety of faith backgrounds and experiences and speaks on relevant topics that matter today. We dig into one of his books and looking at some some problems in the logic with some atheist arguments and the solutions which are always found at the cross. From head to heart to imagination, the word connects through them all. I'm going to leave it at that for now and open up the conversation I had with Andy Bannister. So you're joining us today from uh, across the pond, as we say. So you're, uh, you're currently in uh, the United Kingdom, is that correct?
1: That's right. So uh, I am coming to you from uh, from Scotland, a very, a very much a frozen uh, Scotland. Uh, in that, uh, yes, it's sort of winter has just begun here. So, uh, so yes, the north of England, north of the UK, Scotland.
0: Wonderful, <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. Um, well, I, I'd love to hop in, and as your, as the introduction suggests, you're uh, you have a lot of responsibilities and roles uh, and different titles that you're that you're uh, doing right now. Um, but before we kind of get into all the particular work and areas that you're uh, that you're touching on in your in your work in ministry, I'd love to go back a bit more into your backstory. Um, so I noticed that you have a PhD in Islamic studies uh, which is quite fascinating for uh, for someone you know of Christian faith and for folks who are listening to see, yep. to hear this it might might uh, you know want to explore further. so I want to uh, I want to know a bit more about um, your journey on this particular path and kind of how, how you ended up getting this yep. degree, and uh, and then with that kind of some of your some background on your your faith upbringings.
1: Sure. So let's uh, yeah, let's start with that. I mean, I am unusual. In fact, I, I sometimes like to joke. Actually, the reason I got a degree in Islamic studies, not biblical studies, is I just ticked the wrong box on the university application form. You know, <laughs> and it was three years in. I was like, oh, hang on, this isn't New Testament Greek. This is Quranic Arabic. But that gets a cheap laugh. But it's not true. So um, the reality is that back in the late 1990s. Um, I was a youth worker uh, for a group of churches in London, uh, in England, and a gentleman came to our church and did a seminar on Muslims and understanding and reaching Muslims, and he shared about some work he was doing at a place in London called Speaker's Corner, and Speaker's Corner is the center of uh, one of our big parks in London, and every uh, Sunday afternoon at Speaker's Corner, you can stand on a ladder or a soapbox, and you can talk about anything, religion, politics, sport, you name it, get a crowd, and he was using this as a platform to reach Muslims. And it sounded fascinating. He was a very charismatic speaker. So we got talking after his seminar, and he said, well, Andy, why don't you come to Speaker's Corner next week and see what we do? So I, I did. I turned up at, the, you know, at London uh, at Speaker's Corner the following week to be met by my new friend, and he was carrying not one but two stepladders. So I was like, why are there two ladders? He went, well, I'm going to stand on one of them and preach. You're going to stand on the other and preach. And I went, I thought you should come and see what we do. He went, ah, oh, the best view is, you know, from the top of the ladder. So I then tried to protest. I never preached on the street, and he claimed it was easy. And I also said, well, I've never talked to Muslims before. And he also said, oh, they're easy. It's just really easy to talk to a Muslim. Um, he was wrong on both counts. And I got on that ladder. There were about 100 Muslims there that day. And uh, they were well-practiced, Tyler, in taking Christians to pieces. And uh, they tore my feet to pieces and sort of, you know, put the pieces in a little bag and kind of passed me on the head and sent me home. And I remember going home on the train thinking, Oh, well, I guess I need to become a Muslim because uh, obviously, you know, I don't have anything and they seem to have everything. Uh, but I thought before I did anything stupid, I perhaps ought to ask around a bit. And I remember going into the local Christian bookstore the following morning and sort of sharing my sad little tale of woe. And the guy behind the counter went, oh, what you need, mate, is that you need apologetics. And I thought it sounded like a breakfast cereal. i never heard of this. I, well, yeah. What's apologetics? And he directed me to this kind of dark, spider-infested corner of the bookstore where no one had ever been before. And uh, I came out with a copy of a book called Evidence That Demands a Verdict by Josh McDowell. Our very famous apologetics book, and I read it, and I read more, read more, read more. Went back to speakers' corner two weeks later, uh, loaded for bear. I had, you know, answers to every question they'd asked, and uh, and they had new questions, and they made me look stupid all over again. And for the next three months, we repeated this exercise: speakers' corner on the weekends, read during the week. And um, during those three months, I think God did a number of things. He gave me a love of sharing my faith in public. I loved engaging Muslims on their questions, and just a, a passion for thinking through answers and to tough questions. I wasn't academic, never been to university, and so forth. And that journey that began at Speaker's Corner on there on the streets led to eventually the theological college, and eventually to a degree, uh, and then to a PhD in Islamic studies. So that's how it all began. It's Muslims, I actually have to thank for what I do now.
0: Uh, that's, uh, that's actually very fascinating, because uh, myself, I, when I was in, in university, I went and stayed I studied abroad, something that a lot of a lot of Americans do now, uh, for you know for a semester. And I went over to Morocco, which is, as I'm sure you know, is a is a 99% Islam dominant country. Um, And I lived in a host family too, Um, something that you know in my in my uh, was I wasn't you know I was I I went there for the for the to to understand culture to 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 speak French because I speak French and wasn't really sure kind of what I'd be getting into. And it's funny because. Um, when you're put in the fire and whether by, you know, kind of voluntary, voluntarily or involuntarily, you're exposed to the, the reality of the matter. And as you said, you know, under, entering into this public Christianity. And I'm like, well, these these as as you mentioned, these folks are very, you know, very devout and they they really have a grip and a handle on understanding their faith, but also understanding Christianity, too. Um, and it it really it, it was something that was it was catalyzing for me to say hey you know I need to explore I need to figure out uh, what I believe and not I didn't necessarily take the, the apologetics route but um, it's interesting how you're, you're you you get to, when you get to explore the other uh, it can help you have better bearings and grounding on your own faith as well um, so I, I wanted to you know just a, just a, a personal story but that, that was you know it's fascinating um, so I know Yeah, very interesting. So I know, I know, right now, especially with you know Islam and Christianity, it can seem to be almost polar opposites. Um, And but I know there's a lot of a lot of history in the you know the the, 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 the rise of the the Islam Islam religion, and um, it, it it appears that Islam really expanded much more rapidly. You know, kind of growth. You know, as a lake. Rather than kind of a you know a, a drop in the ocean like Christianity and kind of from from the from the outset it seems like Islam has has really expanded and grown maybe at a bigger scale um, and but you know but but from this I wanted to to kind of see it seems there, there's a lot of division between the two um, but there was a time that you know that there was I think in the ninth and tenth century that they were together or uh, helped help work work with each other to to I think to art, to articulate. Uh, or to help develop uh, philosophical texts um, in Greek, but I, I wanted to know kind of how, uh, especially now it seems like there's in- increased division, especially you know between Islamic extremist Islamic extremists um, and f- Americans, maybe Westerners in general are are making are making you know over assumptions or generalizations about the Islamic faith. Um, I wanted to know kind of what. What you'd recommend for for folks who uh, may not be ver- very aware of uh, the, the the ties to religion and, and how maybe some easy ways that that folks can go about uh, being respectful um, and carrying out their own faith in a proper way?
1: Wow, there's, a, there's about sort of ten different questions in there uh, in there, Tyler. So um, I mean, let's 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 begin where where you ended. I mean, we live in. Mm-hmm. What fascinates me? We live in an age, you know, where I am in Europe, where where you are in the USA, where look, you know, we're surrounded by people who practice all different religions and none and as well. So you know, mm-hmm. Muslims, Christians, Hindus, Buddhists, Jews, uh, you know, and then atheists and humanists and goodness knows what else is going on. So I think I, I often say, like, one of the greatest challenges of our age is how do we find a way to live together in spite of our differences. Um, and as I see it, there are, there's only a limited number of options. One option that you increasingly hear in our, in our, in our age is, well, let's just squash all the differences and pretend they're all the same. You know, hear people say, well, let's just imagine that all religions are the same. Um, and that's the way to peace and harmony. Of course, the problem is it, it's patent nonsense. It doesn't take more than a moment to just, you know, don't actually discover what people believe. And you see there, there are profound differences. I mean, huge differences between what a Muslim believes and a Buddhist believes. I mean, you know, traditional Buddhism doesn't believe in God, muslims do and then of course what about my atheist and humanist friends if if the if the way to unity is go we'll believe the same god well now what do we do with atheists and humanists who have their own set of beliefs so i think what we need to do is find a way and, and try and rebuild that idea in society that you know what it's uh, it's people who are equal ideas mm-hmm. are not um but we can respect the people who hold the ideas so even though i think islam isn't true even though i think they. Theism is patently false, uh, even though I think you know Buddhism has very little to offer uh, in terms of an ideology. Uh, and to be fair, I have no problem with my Muslim friends saying, "Well, I think Christianity is a load of rubbish." So I go, "No, you believe that, and that's absolutely fine. I, I value, I respect your right to believe that." So, whilst I disagree with the the content of the ideas, I'll try and respect the, the person. And I think as Christians, of course, we see that model in Jesus who was able to deal with people from a wide, wide range of backgrounds, welcome them, respond to them um, and love them as, as individuals, even though you know, in many cases what they believed was was all over the place. Um, you know, I love that story of Jesus and the rich young ruler, that young guy who comes to, to comes to Jesus, you know, and money and possessions are completely in the way of him seeing who God is. And there's that lovely little line where it says Jesus looked at him and loved him. Loved him profoundly, even though that, that, that guy was so messed up um, mm. because he was a first century consumerist. So I think that's the first thing we need to think about. What's interesting there, I would say, is then that raises the question of, you know, actually, which worldview gives the best basis for that? And that's a fascinating discussion mm. because there are certain mm. worldviews that I think are inherently have a tendency towards trying to squash competitors, um, there have been times when Christians have engaged in that, but I don't think it's inherent. I think it's when Christians got their hands on the levers of power. I think religions like, like Islam, some of the problem arises that right from the very beginning, that was the way the founder carried on. I think that a lot of the problems with Islam uh, are not Muslims. The problems are, are when we go back and we look at Muhammad who set Islam up. But Islam was right from the very beginning, I think, intended to be a political system. Um, and you can see that in the way that Muhammad carried on and the way that he used religion uh, that way. And so I think that's a question that needs to be discussed. Um, but in terms of how we re- relate to one another as citizens, I mm. think we have got to get back to this idea that it's the it's that it's that people are, are equal. I love the fact that for you Americans, that's at the heart of you, know your constitution, that it's people who are equal, um, and we respect their right to hold an idea, but that doesn't make the ideas true. We need to then debate those ideas on their merits.
0: Mm. Absolutely furthering that 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 conversation um i guess even at a more general general view um there's i know especially in the united states and um i know i know in united kingdom and in france as well uh there's been a lot of mass killings um and namely of folks who are of christian jewish or muslim faith um and and you mentioned uh between uh, islam and christianity that kind of this this alignment in in the fact that one of the greatest commandments is to love one another, and come from this place of love and acceptance. And as you mentioned, you know, do do to one, one another as you do to yourself. It, it 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 appears. But between Christian, Christian, Jewish, and Muslim faith, is there? Are we able to kind of understand or find similarities between these different religions that can that can speak to this larger picture of um, of really why they they might maybe a target of uh, a lot of these mass killings that are taken out by by you know different different folks.
1: Well, there's a whole there's a whole number of reasons there, mm-hmm. aren't there? I mean, if you look at the reasons that people in, engage in in mass killings and violence, obviously we have to look at the motivation of the perpetrator. Mm-hmm. And of course, very struck, you know, as we as we have this conversation. I mean, just in the last twenty four hours, I think there was that there was that was that shooting at the uh, at the synagogue. In my brain has gone. Uh, was it? I want to say Pittsburgh. Am I right? Correct. Yes. yes. In the US, and we've had similar things in in, in, in Europe. And of course, in that case, it, it looks like it was a, a far right. Um, extremist. Mm -hmm. Um, Many of the attacks on on synagogues and anti-Semitic Jewish attacks here in Europe have actually been perpetrated by the Muslim Mm. community. And in fact, it's one of the, it's interesting reading some of the political commentary on this side of the the pond today has been interesting because some of our friends on the left have been very quick, I think, to jump on this and say, "Ah, look, this is the the ideology of Donald Trump. And I think Donald Trump is fair game. I have no no. No, no, talk, no, no to, candle to, to hold for your president. But I think critics over here have pointed out going, well, just a moment. Mm-hmm. Um, those same voices who were very quick to weaponize the Pittsburgh attack and use it to advance political ends. Where were those voices when Jews were being killed and, uh, and attacked in Europe in recent months? Utter silence. So, I think one of the first things I want to say in the age we live in, we've got to get, I think we need to move away from looking for these examples of violence and then grabbing hold of the ones that suit our ends and weaponizing them, and beating our opponents around the head with. Um, you know, one of the things I always say when I do a lot of, you know, events on university campuses and in those kind of settings is look, to me, violence seems to be a pretty universal human problem. Mm-hmm. Um, there are examples of left wing violence, right wing violence, no wing violence. Human beings seem to have a tendency to use violence when we can to achieve our ends. Which is interesting, right? Because I think one of the things that that I first found so interesting about Jesus, you know, years ago when I was sort of journeying into Christian faith was his very honest diagnosis of the human heart, that the stuff that comes out of the heart, you know, that we we are one of the biggest problems with human beings. We are wonderful self-deceivers, that we think we are good, we think we're righteous, we think people who don't think like us are wicked and evil. And look at our political discourse these days, it just divides along those lines. And then you go and read something like the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus upends the whole thing. You know, those of you who are rich and those of you who are privileged and those of you who think that you're righteous and those of you who think that you've got it sorted, actually you're the ones who are in real trouble. Rather it's, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who hunger, those blessed are the meek, which is a complete topsy-turvy view of the, of, of the world. And I think the first thing I think we need to do in our current climate is be willing to ask ourselves modest questions the moment we're tempted to point the finger at somebody else to say, okay, what am I really like? In that area, you know, as Jesus said, you know, before you judge somebody for the speck in their eye, have you considered the plank in your own? And I think one of the great things about the gospel, it challenges us profoundly. It doesn't let us play games of I'm a good guy and everyone else is a bad guy. The other thing I'd say, and then I'll throw it back to to, to you where you want to mm-hmm. to run with this. I I think the other, other thing as well, though, going a slight different direction. So the way you set the question up was interesting because you refer to Judaism, Islam, and Christianity. And I think one of the problems that we have, again, in our culture right now is, going back to what I said originally, we have this, this we challenge, we, we struggle in this current age to really talk about differences, to really talk about what things really teach rather than assume everything's the same. And one of the things that's long intrigued me as a scholar of Islam is that there's this tendency to lump together Jew, Muslims with Jews and Christians and assume, you know, what the, the, the term that's often used is Abrahamic faiths. But, but it's one thing I always want to stress, not, as, not so much as a Christian now, just as a scholar of Islam, is Islam is not related to Judaism and Christianity. All the first Christians were Jewish. Well, most of them were Jewish. Um, you know, the Apostle Paul was a Jew. Jesus was a Jew. Peter was a Jew. James was a Jew. Um, We've got a few exceptions, like Luke, for example. But most of the first Christians were Jewish, and, uh, and Christianity grows out of Judaism. And that's why, for example, you find the, New, the Old Testament quoted or referred to thousands of times in the, in the New Testament. There's a very close link, linkage between the two. Islam, on the other hand, comes along 600 years later. A uh, different country, different culture, different language, no connection to those previous scriptures. And the only real links that turn up in the Quran is the Quran does allude to stories from the Bible, but clearly they're second or third hand. Um, so it's a very different religion. It's a very different mindset. It's a very different view of the world. And one of the first things I often say to students when I'm teaching comparative religion is we've got to stop thinking about Abrahamic faiths because what we end up tending to do is we squash Islam into a Jewish and Christian framework to understand it and we warp it in the process. It's, 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 unfair to do that. In the same way it'd be unfair to try and understand Buddhism through the lens of Hinduism. Um, so one of the things I always like to do is understand things on their own merits. Um, I think as, certainly as a Christian approaching Islam, it's helpful for me not to go, Oh, how similar is this to Christianity? Rather than, Hey, I need to begin by talking to my Muslim friends. And if I find similarities, and yeah, gosh, there are some, um, that's a bonus, but I should also go, let me begin by perhaps assuming differences. And listen. Mm-hmm. And a good example of that is Muslims and Christians both, both use the word God, but the way that our Muslim friends, un- what Muslims understand by that word is radically different to what Christians understand by the word God. And so the word's the same, but the idea is very different. And I think the more we listen and engage in those kind of exercises, the more we begin to understand, even if we disagree profoundly. You know, my Muslim friends and I've had over the years, we disagree with each other profoundly, but hopefully I've come away understanding more, and hopefully they have too
0: yeah no, so if if I gather what you're what you're saying correctly, it's you know, looking, I think maybe a lot of folks are where our tendency is to find how uh, how things are alike, how how we're, we can you know find agreeance uh, between these two rather than seeing them as you know different and, and distinct entities and, and and exploring exploring one without yeah. without assuming the same the same even the same nature as the other.
1: Well, that's right. And as somebody once said, just because some things have something has two things have one thing in common, mm-hmm. doesn't mean they have everything mm-hmm. in common. Uh, you know, an Airbus A380 and a car both have wheels and an engine. Um, that doesn't mean that we can go, oh, cars and you know, jumbo jets are the same thing. Together, mm-hmm. they have a few things in common, but they're also profoundly different. And one thing I've I've appreciated looking into comparative religion over the years is what intrigues me is all the great religious systems and worldviews of the world, basically have to answer some fairly basic questions. I mean, one I often use on you know, on, on university campuses, get discussions going, is i love have to ask people the question, you know, what do you think is wrong with the world and what do you think is the solution? Everyone has an opinion on those two questions, whether you're a Muslim, a Christian or a Jew, or an atheist or a Hindu or a Buddhist or a humanist, um, and I think that's interesting to begin looking at what are some of the common questions that every human being has to ask. And what does the person you're talking to think about those? And of course, is you know from a Christian perspective, what is the gospel? What does Jesus have to say to those questions?
0: Mm, wonderful. So I want to I want to continue on the last point that you just mentioned. So um, it, your your time right now is an adjunct speaker for RZIM, um, it, and as you mentioned earlier when you were speaking, uh, one of the you know one of the, the earlier books you picked up was apologetics. And I think uh, there's a you know, it's it's a it's it's a tough pursuit because it you know definitely involves a lot of intellect, logic, and reason to think about uh, articulating arguments uh, that are persuasive, that are convincing, um, to to speak more truth uh, to the gospel and the Christian faith um, and. Uh, Especially as of recent, uh, it's it seems like you're speaking again to folks uh, that come from all faiths, not just from the Christian faith. So you're speaking collectively, or maybe at different times, to uh, to these to different individuals, different groups. Um, what, what are the, what are these topics and issues that are, that, that you are diving into as of recent, you mentioned at the end, what are the, you know, what, what are the greatest problems that you see? And everyone has an opinion. Is that, is that something that has been a lot of the topics that you're getting into or would love for you to expand yeah. a little bit more?
1: That's a good, that's a great question, Tyler. And yeah, it's, it's, it's both through my work, you know, as an adjunct with, with Ravi Zacharias, international ministries and actually before you know I was an adjunct I was the Canadian director of, you know for them for six years so you know had a long relationship with them mm-hmm. and still do have a relationship with them and also now at, at the Solas Centre Public Christianity where we're sort of trying to do a similar kind of ministry in Scotland I think yeah I mean we love to get out the forwards of the church and go where people are I think often when, when it when we think about evangelism those of us listening to this who are Christians you know a lot of a lot of Christians on the basis of evangel when they think about evangelism tend to think about how can we invite people to come to that, our churches but, of course, I often say to Christians, when was the last time we went to the mosque or the Hindu temple or whatever? Answer, not very often. So if we want to reach our friends who are not Christians, we probably need to begin by going where they get where they are. And, of course, that's what the First Apostles did. You know, and my favorite moments in the Book of Acts is that is, that, um, is when uh, Paul's there in Athens, in, in, not in Athens, rather in, in Ephesus. And we where we read that, he you know, there he is in Ephesus, that Greek city, and he, he rents the lecture hall of Tyran. And he's there for two years debating and discussing with the Jews and the Greeks and whatever. So he's right there in the public square. And so that's what we try and do. And then the questions we, we aim for, really, I'm a great believer in trying to figure out what are the questions that your audience are interested in, often just by asking people from that background, and then addressing them. So, you know, a good example, I did... Um, in a dialogue event on a university campus just down the road from our, where I am now, right now in Dundee, um, in Scotland. And uh, we had, uh, we found an atheist professor from the, one of the science departments, and myself. And we, and we together actually, he and I dialogued over email with the moderator and we came up with, can science explain everything? And so we ran with that. And it was great. We had 300 students in that night. The lecture hall was at capacity and it was a moderate discussion, was moderated by the university vice chancellor. It was fascinating. What was really interesting was actually afterwards, the vice chancellor, I don't think had any kind of faith, turned to me afterwards and sort of off the record and the mics were off. And he said, he said, I'm staggered. He said, when I saw this event and you folks asked me to moderate, I thought we'd get 50 people. He said, and, and lo and behold, here we have 300, almost 350 people. He said, I had absolutely no idea that people were interested in, uh, in kind of questions like this. And I went, oh, vice chancellor, they are, like, oh, you should have more events like this. And actually, it's actually really exciting. I literally just today found out, this was seven months ago, that a, a student had come along that night you know, who was an ardent atheist, had come along, sat through the whole thing. wasn't said on the, on the night he wasn't particularly persuaded, but afterwards, as he reflected on it, was, increased, was really struck by the nihilism of the atheist who basically believed that life was meaningless, there was no purpose, there was no point, nothing was worth doing. And he said, well, I reflected on that. And he said, reflect on the hope. That he'd seen me portray in the christian world but he really realized something up and as he sort of tugged on that thread it went deeper and deeper and deeper and after two months he gave his life to christ it's hugely exciting i just found that out tonight so we take questions that people ask and then if i'm doing say an event with a muslim for a muslim group you know we'll often pick some of the the big theological topics like sin and salvation um you know who is god who is jesus a big debate in Toronto last year with a, with one of the Muslim world's leading kind of dialogue um, and debaters uh, guys, and we and there we went for the question of who is Jesus, man, myth, or God, and that was great. We had about sort of five hundred people, fifty fifty audience, you know, Christians and Muslims, and uh, and Shabir and I went to and fro. So yeah, I think what we try and do, Tara, is listen to the, find out what are the questions that intrigue the audience, and I think this is for Christians listening to this. I think this is the way to engage our friends who don't believe in Jesus as we do. Find out what their questions are. Don't assume. And then do our very best to engage and answer them, and uh, and listen as we do that.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and, and going off this, one of your one of your books, *The Atheist Who Didn't Exist*, um, definitely speaks on uh, a handful of arguments, and or you know, rather lack of lack of an argument um, that are that are posed by atheists. Um, I know this was written a few years ago in 2015. Um, kind of diving a bit more into this topic, and into uh, in particular, are there. Maybe one or two arguments that are that are most prominent uh, in 2018. When you're going to speak at these university campuses, yep. are you being like, okay? This this is something that is still persistent. This is still an this is still an argument that is brought up, but that m- maybe the logic isn't right. Or you know, I would love for you to hear, hear more.
1: Yeah. Well, the interesting one is that um, although in one sense the new atheism is something of a spent force. I mean, that term was coined in 2006. Now. Uh, by a by a writer for Wired magazine, and that was you know people like uh, Richard Dawkins, Sam Harris, Daniel Dennett, Chris Hitchens, their height. And now I you know obviously Hitchens is dead, Harris has become some kind of weird Buddhist, um, Richard Dawkins is just a bit of a laughing stock on Twitter, and Daniel Dennett looks more like Santa Claus every day. Um, but their arguments have been have been popularised, and so yeah, some of those arguments you still hear. So like a good example would be the idea that religion poisons everything. That was Hitchens famous one-liner, you know, people love to point to the religion does. And, of course, it's not difficult, right? You just look around the world and you can see that religion causes all kinds of things, whether it's, you know, Christians sort of just being politically, you know, ridiculous in the U.S. through to, you know, Syria, through to whatever it is. If I was an atheist, I would have a field day uh, with that question. Um, and I get that a lot on university campuses. Has religion mm-hmm. caused damage? Of course, the problem with that argument is I always like to say it doesn't go far enough. It's just it's a, it's a, it's a weak argument. We can we can expand it because yeah, religion causes evil, but so does a raft of other things. I um, mean, I mean, sex for example. I mean, it's interesting. I never used to use this as an example, but post Harvey Weinstein and Mead, I uh, just go you know toxic sexuality. Look at the damage sex uh, causes. If all human beings are androgynous, I mean, we'd have a much easier society right now. So sex can be used in all kinds of harmful ways. Money. You know, money causes greed and violence and jealousy and all kinds of things. Politics, look at toxic politics right now. And the more you do this exercise, the more you think, what's the common link? Mm -hmm. Well, the common link is you and I, human beings. Human beings have this ability to pick things up and use them for great good and use them for great evil. And we do it with religion, money, politics, sex, you name it. So now the question becomes, how do you deal with the messed up creature that is human beings? Now, of course, if atheism is true, the answer is you can't. We just are, we are, we are because we are, because we are. And as I think, you know, the Canadian psychologist Jordan Peterson, who's very popular these days, likes to say, you're you know, trying to change the thing. You're fighting you know, millions of years of evolution. Give up, you know, at the end of the day, you know, we're just behaving in ways that are deeply, deeply ingrained. And the idea that, you know, a bit of liberal politics is going to overcome millions of years of evolution is a foolhardy idea. We're just kind of stuck with it. Or do we take the Christian view and say, actually, there is something to be said about the about the nature of that brokenness and the idea that actually there can be a new nature, there can be recreation, um, that there is something that is offered in the cross of Jesus to actually both deal with our brokenness, but then, you know, through this, the work of the Spirit to begin putting us back and regenerating us. And what I like to do with that, and with, as, I, as I sort of briefly did there, is, is take the question in the form it's asked, you know, really explore it and, 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 and do it justice, but then show how it connects to the cross. Because I think the interesting thing is all the all the toughest questions out there. With practice, you can turn them towards the gospel. Because I think they all naturally lead that that way in terms of the solution.
0: Mm-hmm. No. So you mentioned at least you know from the argument argument in 2006. In 2006, one of the biggest challenges was that maybe it wasn't specific enough, or it was an overgeneralization to you know if, if if this is true for religion, it can be true for every you know so many other things too. So it it doesn't you know really put this into a box that is conclusive. Um, but but. Yeah. Yeah, is that, would that be fair to say?
1: I think so. I, th- I think you can do this with a lot of the yeah. the theist arguments. I think the other one that's interest the interesting that you still hear variations of, which I still can't believe all these years on, is. Um is again the idea that you know religions are people who who you know who just need a psychological crutch, who are a little bit kind of weak, who you know really can't stand up in the face of reality. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, that was a kind of famous Dawkins line, um, you know, from from the God Delusion back in 2006. Died in the Wall of Faith. Heads was a famous line. And what was interesting, actually, what does encourage me is that people can see through this more easily than you realize. I am um, I was doing a, a mission in a town in the south of the UK week before last. As part of that, we did some high school lessons, uh, religious studies lessons, mm-hmm. and in one of them, just for fun, the pastor who'd arranged them, um, I role played an atheist because, of course, the the kids didn't know who I was, so here I was with a you know rumor. 15 of 30 15 16 year olds and so he introduced me as his atheist buddy and i just uh, and i just said yeah i'm an atheist so i said you know mark and we are friends although I, I i think he's he's nuts and I'm, I'm gonna be quite rude to him you know do forgive me for that and i gave five reasons why i was an atheist and the first one was you know religious people are stupid and all this kind of stuff and the job the, the great thing is that the kids then had the job of arguing against me and of course half them atheists, which is fun but i pushed it so hard and then finally you know they got your really irritated on this religion is for stupid people Finally, this like 15 year old in the back row he'd been sitting there suddenly for half the lesson suddenly he wakes up and he goes hang on hang on he said isaac newton he was a christian sir he he wasn't stupid you're wrong and i went oh (laughs) isaac newton i hadn't thought of him (laughs) darn but it was just like i said we said after my buddy i said it's great fun but just watching these kids go hang on these arguments just aren't very good yeah but every single one of them was taken right out of the new the new atheist. I want at the end. I said, "Look, I'm not making these arguments up. These are arguments that, that that real atheists have put forward." And I said to the kids in the room, "You know, many of you here may be atheists. It's okay to be an atheist, but just don't rely on mm-hmm. crappy arguments that that you know caricature those who think differently."
0: yeah no that, that's really that's really that's funny and and you, you mentioned jordan peterson too and he talks about this you know that this this chaos and order and you know as you mentioned how, how do we how do we deal with with the with the chaos that is that you know that has existed but but also that there's this order too and uh finding and bringing our way back kind of to to where we where we're destined to be and as you mentioned the, the cross is the cross is the answer and that's and that's where we can find it and, and kind of all all paths lead to there i know he has he hasn't particularly gotten that far yet in a lot of a lot of the work that he's done um, but it's but it's quite interesting how uh, you know I think Jordan has been able to speak to a lot of younger men too um, mm-hmm. that are that are facing that are starting to question their faith a lot um, and and I want to transition from a lot of folks that are tuning into this podcast are going to be men you know in their 20s, 30s and 40s uh, might be in different points of different ports, points of their life. Um, but I think you know one one theme that uh, that definitely comes across is okay you know how how do I how do I share my faith right or how do I go about into and go about into the world doing so getting outside not only inviting people into church but as you mentioned going and you know outside of the four walls and actually going to these places um, which I uh, which I think is a great piece of advice in itself. But I want to know uh, how would you invi- advise one to share their hey. faith in a in a winsome, rational and persuasive manner.
1: Oh, there's a there's a great number of questions. Um, let's start with the guy where yep. people are, because if there are people listening to this who who are, you know, involved in any form of leadership and their churches or any influence, I think I think churches can do some great stuff here. And I think one of the things I do a lot of work with churches on is the idea is, is what we like to call kind of cafe culture evangelism that's saying to churches, look, rather than try and invite people to the church, what about if you, you know, rent the local coffee shop or a local pub, or you know some sort of neutral space. In fact, it was great. I did an event just two days ago uh, for a church about an hour from here, and they literally, literally rented the local Indian restaurant. And uh, and so what they did is that it seated fifty people. Every seat was filled. We actually had fifty four there. So you know, kind of uh, through the kitchen's a bit crazy. And then basically, the what worked is the Christians bought a ticket for themselves and for a friend. And so how easy is it to say to a friend, "Hey, do you want to come for a curry?" Uh, mm-hmm. You know, do, we you know local restaurant. We got an interesting speaker after dinner. And it was great. I didn't get up to speak till 10 o'clock, which is quite late. But people were full of curry. They had their, you know, a couple of Indian beers. Everyone was relaxed. And then I got up and spoke on why the heck would I need God for 25 minutes. You know, it was great. It felt like the audience was eating out of my hand. And it was even interesting afterwards talking to the owner of the restaurant. He wasn't a Christian. She said, oh, this is really interesting. I need to think more about this. My husband and I and all of the serving staff, we were kind of hanging around the kitchen door, kind of listening to you. This was really interesting. And I remember saying to the pastor, afterwards, I just said to him, well done. I said, you don't, it's not tough. It really isn't, but I think we just got to be innovative, a little bit innovative for church leaders and churches,
0: mm-hmm.
1: for individuals. Tyler, what I'd say is, you know, look around and go, okay, who are the non Christians in my life? Are they classmates, family members, friends, neighbours, co-workers? You know, who are they? And then perhaps a good starting point is to start by taking an interest. You know, I mean, you know, say. To a- co-worker or something like you know look i i realize i've been working with you for a year and you know you may have figured out i'm I'm, i happen to be a follower of jesus but i never bothered to ask you what what you believe about the big questions of life i'm really sorry what what do you believe about the big questions of of life and if they don't know what they mean throw some their way what's the purpose of life why are we here if they start telling you um start asking questions don't start preaching ask lots of questions firstly though people love talking about themselves um, secondly, you know you'll, you'll be able to figure out what your coworker thinks, and there's every chance eventually they'll say to you, "So, what do you Christians believe?" And now you've got an open opportunity. You've listened to them for 25 minutes. You've asked them. You've got their backstory, and there's a much greater chance they're going to say to you, "Well, hang on then. So, what, what do you guys believe?" And because so questions, I think, are the un, um, the obvious, the, the often missed tool in evangelism. Jesus used them all the time. Um, so I think asking people their story. And uh, if you get objections to the gospel, you know, before leaping in and responding, that's a problem with questions. So if someone says to you, you know, what about X, you know, then a great way of responding before you dive in with a with an answer is, so that's a great question. Why do you ask it? You know, who knows what you might discover? Like, I mean, I always say a good example of that one is say, the problem of evil that often gets thrown at, at Christians. You know, how can you believe in a good God with all the mess in the world? Well, it makes a big difference if the person asking you that is asking you that question because they think it's a clever question to annoy Christians, or if they're asking you that because one of their friends has just died in a road traffic mm. accident, mm. just simply responding, going, that's a really good question, just out of interest. Why do you ask it? And you never know. You might just get the insight, but now you can address the, the real issue behind the question. Because I think, yeah, we want to use our, our minds, absolutely, but I think I think there are actually three aspects to you know apologetics, Tyler, I'd say, there's, there's the there's the head very much so, and there's you know being Christians who've thought things through, and, and as First Peter three fifteen says, give a reason for the hope that we have. But there's also engaging the heart uh, mm-hmm. of the person you're talking to, and the one that's missed. Uh, those are the first two, head and heart. But the one that's often missed is the imagination. And I think this is the one we need more younger Christians to get their heads around. And, and you know, I think some of us have been at this game a bit longer. Perhaps you know, drop the ball here. Why is it that C.S. Lewis is such an influence, you know, in the Christian world? You know, sixty years almost on from. You know, his death. And to go, it, it's because he figured out the imagination. You need to you need to intrigue people. You need people to go, hey, this Christian story is really interesting. There's something compelling. Wouldn't it be wonderful if it was true? I think it was Blaise Pascal who said, you know, preach the gospel in such a way that good people wish that it were true and then show them that it is.
0: Hmm. Wonderful. Um, so, no, so a few things that you mentioned there is one: seeing the place that they're coming from, uh, really starting to understand their story. And I, I think that that's you know people are uh, quite quick to, to to share about who they are and what you know what they believe and what they what they're doing. People love sharing their story. Um, but then if it's you know those those type of questions uh, that you mentioned, you know, why, why is there evil in the world? Um, seeing what what place this is coming from. Uh, can really alter the alter the the way that you respond to the question. Uh, it's almost you know it's it's kind of like from a business business perspective. It's you know it's gathering research insights into into who your customer is. Yes, that's right. Market Absolutely. research, um, but market research, evangelistic market research. Evangelist, <laughs> that's too funny. Um, but uh, but I, I know there's. Maybe some folks who have you know who have gone there and or you know have uh, maybe tried doing this in a a non-preachy way, right? By asking questions, which I think opens up these open-ended questions, open up the floor uh, for people to respond in in multitudes of way, in multitudes of different ways. Um, But maybe folks have tried this and uh, they've closed people off as a result, or they think that you know it's been uh, they've they've closed doors on the Christian faith and or at least their way of articulating the faith. What would you say to to folks who have uh, who have been in this position, who have uh, who have felt that they are, maybe they're not good at you know doing this, or they're not providing a, a clear picture of the Christian faith. Yeah.
1: I think I'd say a couple of things. I think that the, the thing I really like, Tyler, about the more sort of questioning approach mm-hmm. is that uh, the more conversational approach is. It works for people who are who are absolutely you know brilliant intellectuals who could have mastered every argument. Maybe there are people listening here at that type. I think works for people who are a bit more sort of ordinary and come kind of down to earth and okay, I'm mean, gonna have a PhD now, but I was the first person in my family to go to university. I never really thought of myself as, you know, quote unquote intellectual. Mm-hmm. But I remember at speakers corner and engaging people there, you know, to, to end where we began, I, I know I sort of learned that approach. So I think it's a it's a very, you know, easy to get your hand hand head around evangelistic method. You know, I think of my, my mother, for example, who's been a Christian, you know, 50, 60 years, it would be the first to say, well, she's not a thinker but I hear the stories of her sharing her faith with her friends, and naturally doing it. She's using this kind of technique, just being somebody who people love spending time around and, and uh, engaging with. So I think a good question to ask it yourself is, how can I be the kind of person that people like hanging out with? How can I be more relational? Are there lessons I can learn? And do that prayerfully. Don't beat oneself up to go. If you think there are lessons you can learn, then I think it's also look, look for people who do it well. You know, find good role models. You know, who, uh, who among your you know, if you're somebody who struggles with this. Who among your friendship circle you know christian circle can you find who's really cute and how can you learn how can you learn from them learn from every encounter i find helpful as well if things have gone wrong in certain friendships and certain conversations don't just go oh, it's gone wrong pray it through and go okay what did i what did i where did i, what did I mess up mm-hmm. and also i think the other thing christians sometimes forget about is the power of an apology if you have a messed up why not get back to that person and go look i'm really sorry i you know, I'm, I'm passionate about this Jesus stuff. You've probably figured that out. And I'm really sorry if, you know, last week at work I, I, I came on a bit too strong. I'm, mm. I'm sorry. It's just I think it's important. I'm really, really sorry if I upset you. Be mm. amazed how many people might go, oh, you actually bothered to apologize. Um, and I think actually, you know, sometimes our non-Christian friends are more robust than we than we realize that we just treat them like human beings. Um, so the, the power of an apology goes a long way. And who knows, opens another door.
0: Well, I think that's 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 great advice, and uh, I you know hope that uh, all, all those who are listening can you know take that take that in consideration and and you know not be uh, not be uh, frustrated or maybe you know doubtful of of their own capabilities and abilities given given to them through the spirit. Yeah. Um, wanted to know if, if folks are interested in learning more about uh, the work that you're doing or some of the resources that you have available through the uh, Center for Public Christianity or through uh, Ravi Zacharias, just where they can find you, find these resources.
1: Yeah. So the best place to go for, for resources that I, I put together, Tyler, if, uh, if listeners go to the website for Solas, that's mm-hmm. Solas, S-O-L-A-S, Oh, and by the way, because because you're very... Uh, some people, people want know where that question comes from, where that name comes from. So solas is the is the Scottish word, the Gallic word for sunrising. rising. Mm. And we like the idea of the light of the gospel. And it's also, if you know anything about the Reformation 500 years ago, sola scriptura was the great cry of the Reformers. So it's a kind of sort of Scottish play on words. So solas, S-O-L-A-S, hyphen C-P-C. That's for Centre of Public Christianity dot org. Solas hyphen C-P-C dot org. Mm. And that'll plug you into our website. Main thing I direct listeners to there is we have a... A really exciting resource that we're really uh, pleased how, how God is using called Short Answers. And those are, those are videos mm. we do, one every week to 10 days, where we take a tough question or a challenge to the Christian faith. And then I or a colleague or a guest speaker will try and give a three to four minute answer to it. It's very much uh, non-Christian friendly. So there's kind of thing you can put on Facebook. And I often sort of say to you know younger audiences, you know, it's the world's easiest evangelism, actually. You can go to the Solas Facebook page, you know scroll through the videos, find one you like, hit the share button, share it on your wall. Uh, and, uh, and there are versions on Instagram too if you're on that platform hmm. and and just wait for people to comment and uh, they're designed to be fr- engaging and fun and friendly and we've had um, yeah about 450,000 uh, engagements uh, now in the, in the year or so since we launched that series which we've been very pleased with uh, so solas-cpc.org
0: well, thanks so much. Uh, very much appreciate your time today, Andy. And um, I'm, I'm sure that all, all the folks listening found some value, in you know, even just one piece of uh, one piece of your story or advice that you have. So, again, thank you so much. Um, and it's, it's been a pleasure having you on.
1: You're welcome, uh, Tyler. It's been a fantastic talking to you. Thanks for making the time.